Hello and welcome to episode 196 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up, in a very, very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson, a writer, director and a producer. I'm Robbie McCain, director, producer. And today we're delighted to tell you we have the fantastic actor and screenwriter Jordan Walla. Now, Jordan has recently released his fantastic film Two Heads Creek, which he wrote and starred in. And also, he's written Off the Rails, which is a sperm donor to lesbian parents comedy drama, which stars Judy Dench, Kelly Preston, Sally Phillips, and Jenny Seagrove. Oh my gosh, he also is the star of ITV's Victoria, where he plays Lord Alfred Paget. What do we learn from Jordan today, Robbie? You learn all sorts of things from Jordan. He's got a pretty interesting sense of humour. If you there's know him, of, you know anyway. There's a lot of <laughs> testicle chat. <laughs> there's a lot of testicle chat. You'll have to listen to find out what that means. But he yeah. talks about all sorts of things like writing your own work versus reworking a script that someone else has worked on, like collaborating versus working on your own and the different challenges that each of those routes hold. Absolutely. He also talked about approaching talent and getting in at an early stage. He has some great advice for attracting big talent. He also talks about maintaining focus in screenwriting and having a say in the edit. And he also talks about instinct versus structure. So should you be that sort of methodical writer in terms of knowing all of the different rules and conventions or should you just go out there and write what you want so there you go all that coming up for you on this episode and i am joined by my co-host christian james who can't be here to do the intro right now but myself and christian and jordan waller had a fantastic chat as you will hear coming up but two heads creek which is out now directed by jesse o'brien and produced by jane chard and judge Talyard. it stars Catherine wilder and jordan waller himself it's a amazing it really is signature entertainment picked it up in the uk and the horror collective in the us so you know it's going to be good obviously the horror collective um distributed the dare and signature entertainment distributed arthur and merlin so we're in good hands people <laughs> so giles your feature film uh, details have been announced do you want to spill the beans well luckily for us and for you everywhere in the world well not probably not probably don't care but uh my latest film has been announced on variety uh i'm over the moon to announce it is called the stranger in our bed it does star samantha bond from downton abbey and obviously miss money penny and all the james bonds with pierce brosnan mm -hmm. it also stars ben lloyd hughes who starred in a serial killer's guide to life which is a film i produced which is also out now um which staten cousins row directed it's so cool really really cool film he's in industry which is on bbc 2's 9 15 tuesdays at the moment which you can watch um, and it does star as our lead as Charlotte Emily Barrington who is you'll know her from Humans or the Inbetweeners 2 movie she's amazing um, uh, we are two weeks in 
of the shoot and it's going really well. Also in the cast we've got Joseph Marcel from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Nina Wadia from Aladdin, Andy Osho from I May Destroy You, Bart Edwards who's in The Witcher at the moment but also in Singapore Grip and he's and starred he's in as my the lead. <laughs> in The Dare! Which is out now if you didn't know you can go watch it uh, pretty much around the world. Uh, and also Paul Cesar who was one of the leads in The Detectorists on BBC I believe and obviously it's written by Samantha Lee Howe who is based on, it's basically based on a best-selling novel um, by Samantha Lee Howe who's also written the screenplay and it, she's been wonderful to work with it's been wonderful to work with her uh, adapting that as well and getting that to you know it's, it's just been wonderful working with someone who understands what I need as a director to work with her I work with a to work with a novelist to get that into the, the right shape for filming and she's been fantastic so I'm over the moon with that as well. We've already underway with production as you know uh, Terry Dwyer is producing along with Dean Fisher um, and it's uh, yeah it's going really well has been announced um, fantastic. and I'm and over you, the moon. You, so you've wrapped at the uh, the big kind of Northampton Manor House and you're now shooting in London so. Yes we have so in the two weeks of the Manor House it's gone really well uh, there was so much to shoot there was a big ending there was mm. all sorts of stuff going on we had to dig a grave at one point um and it got and that was the only day it rained really because we were inside a lot so which obviously as you know when i was doing arthur and merlin it rained every day when i was shooting at this time last year this time it didn't rain at all apart from the night before we needed to be in the grave but we did get it all shot and always you're always compromising and not getting certain shots you need but i'm really pleased with what we've got you know mm. my dp richard swingles just sent me some um screen grabs of the drive he's got with all the footage and just put a little color on it and they look incredible yeah. robbie you've just seen they them look and, amazing. you know fantastic lighting yep. fantastic art direction and production design it's looking very sumptuous and yeah can't wait to see it yeah one funny thing that did happen which is kind of difficult when we were shooting down by you know we've got the like i said a, a stream running through this gorgeous manor house mm -hmm. and um and it was dark and our scripty brilliant uh, matt steen he's such a lovely guy and he's been a, such a brilliant script supervisor throughout this program i i was walking ahead of him with the monitor and i jumped over the little sort of stream pit and i heard this splosh behind me and I was like what I turned and his script with all his script notes was flying through the air and it just plopped in the middle of the, 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 the one place stream. where there was water the yeah. one place where there was water <laughs> and tiny literally this square foot kind of long water stream exactly yeah. this horrible moment of going oh my god all his notes everything <laughs> So for, for the next two days, all the radiators were covered in his scripts with all his notes, <laughs> praying to God we could still read them. But what I've learned, again, is that your brain has to be working. As a director uh, on a film like this, your brain has to be 100%. It has to be working 100%. You haven't got a moment when it can't be. So even in the mornings when I was feeling pretty rough most days and you're getting up, your head's banging, you know you've got a big day ahead and every day was massive. You can't stop, you can't let it affect you. You have to just pile in and go, right, what is first? Okay, get through that bit and hopefully have a few barocas and <laughs> you know coffees and hopefully your brain is all right because you need it to be on. You really do when you've got a lot to shoot. So that is The Stranger in Our Bed. Uh, go on to my Twitter and my Instagram, at Giles Alderson, and you will find a load of uh, pictures behind the scenes. Now I'll be announcing it properly. I'll be doing pictures more of the cast and the crew who are involved. Um, but honestly, I I've been over the moon with everyone involved. It's been incredible i just hope the next two weeks are as good and we'll, we will have a really good film fingers 
crossed. I'm sure of it, man. I'm sure of it. So for all of you Patreon subscribers out there, if you're on the Patreon, if you're enjoying the bonus episodes, we've got another one for you this week, and that's uh, featuring our guest from last week, Jim Hart, our screenwriter of Hook, Contact, and of course, Bram Stoker's Dracula, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. And he talks all about finding the best place to write. And he's had a lot of experience of writing, you know, in different kind of contexts, in different film sets, you know, in different environments. And uh, he gives kind of his best tips of how to get focused. All of you screenwriters out there, check it out. What more do you want? That is amazing. Thank you so much for listening last week uh, to the episode with Jim Hart, obviously the screenwriter extraordinaire. If you haven't yet, do go and listen. And thank you so much for listening. It does mean the world to us. If you do like this, do tell your pals. That's how we grow. We're doing this for the love. And if you really do like this, uh, or if you just like it, go on to iTunes and give us a five-star review. Uh, That means the world to us as well. Yeah, and that bonus app is on our Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash The Filmmakers Podcast. Support us. So, Robbie, let's get to it this week's episode. Oh, it's a cracker. It's a cracker with Jordan Waller. <laughs> it's a bit so silly join- if you like that, but, you know, it's, there's obviously some great advice there as well. So, Well, of course you do. There's great <laughs> advice, but there's also fun, and that's what our listeners like. Absolutely. Right? Right. Yeah, Myself, Christian James, Jordan Waller, talking about Two Heads Creek and Jordan's wonderful career. Enjoy. As your older sister, you don't belong here. You're not a butcher. You can't butch. Just a minute. You are a completely useless human being. It's off back to Poland. She loved us both as if we were her own. What does that mean? Because we won't. This is our real mother. Mary Pierce, Two Heads Creek. Good eye, good eye. Our final destination in Australia. Two Heads Creek. You want to go to Two Heads Creek? It looks like this town is stuck in the 70s. Something not quite right about this place, Anna. You're all gonna die! Well done, everyone. That was a drill, and you all did very well. We're looking for our mother, actually. She left us years ago. (laughs) Do you want to see anything wrong with these people? No, I just think they're Australian. Was that her in the coffin? Yeah, no, no, yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, no? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah? No, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, no? Nah. I knew it. Hello, Jordan, can you hear us? That's a close-up. Uh, I can hear both of you, yeah. I love that you're smoking okay. in your own house. It's so it's oh. so rare to see it's that. It's important, isn't it? <laughs> well, I feel like I own it, so I might as well smoke in it. I know. I know. It's true, I though. If it's, you've got your own house, you can do what you want, right? Do you smoke? Sometimes in the garden. I'll yeah. have a secret in cheeky one. But it's very <laughs> rare. It's rare. Um, yeah. But yeah, you don't want to be... What I found, though, is when I was painting... I'd smoke a little bit, but then it would get into the paint and it would then smell because it would be really? such a weird thing. Yeah. So I couldn't, if, so if you're painting, don't, don't smoke. It's, I don't know what it is, but it just seems that's, to stay. That's actually really good. Cause I'm about to repaint everything. So that's really good advice. Cause I thought it would be quite sexy to, you know, get in my bikini and have a fag of my mouth doing it. Now, it's true. You think you're sexy. Yeah. You got your top off paint everywhere, but yeah, no exactly. little tip for the painters out there. Um, how are you, Jordan? You're right. I'm great. I'm great. Yeah. I've just been doing lots of housework today. So I'm a little bit, um, 
it depresses me doing housework. I've done nothing creative, which is weird. So I'm quite anxious actually, which is why I'm smoking. Mm. Which makes sense because I'm I, I, I if I don't do something creative and CJ, you must be the same. You just get that kind of why mm-hmm. I need to do something creative. I need to do something, whether it's send an email or um, yeah. watch something or do something or write something down. Isn't that yeah. isn't that weird as uh, creatives that we get that we feel like we need to punish ourselves. It is very self-lacerating, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You feel like you're not being productive. And because you don't have any structure to your day, you're like, well, actually, this isn't a weekend. It's a Wednesday. What the hell am I doing? But I'm kind of getting used to that. Uh, yeah, bit by bit. But I still, I feel so guilty all the time. I sound glad. It's good to hear because I get this as well. I know, I know what you mean by that sort of that guilt of um, not doing something productive or, or, or uh, yeah, no, I, I know exactly where you're coming from. It's a... It's a strange thing that so you have to sit at your, at your, at your, in front of your desktop and make something happen. Maybe that's, but that guilt keeps us going, right? That's why we do the thing we do. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It does. Although it, you, you've got to be a little bit mad, haven't you, to, to, to go yourself at, at a career. You've got to, you've got to have a bit of balls and you've got to, there's got to be a psychosis behind you, driving you. And there definitely mm. is. Isn't that why the creative industry has, this is a really bad opener for a, a, a joyous podcast, but apparently the creative industry has a really high rate of depression because if you're sort of prone to being creative, you're also very, very prone to uh, having a, a depressive gene in your brain. I think we should touch on this. I think it's true. I think that we go through really crazy periods. Don't forget what we do as creatives and performers, Jordan, yourself. And we, we, we go through these moments of huge down when you're not doing anything, you can't get any work, nothing's happening. And you work your ass off to get there. And then you have that one glimmer, that little moment of maybe a premiere or maybe when it goes on TV or, you know, whatever it is. And suddenly people go, Oh, I saw you and you had your thing and your film was great. And, and then it goes again and you start again from this well why do we do this <laughs> well it's a very short-lived direction isn't it basically the whole the whole experience but you know you get hard again and then it's great and you're ready to go that's <laughs> so true so true you just take a bit of Viagra and it's time to go again um, <laughs> exactly so myself and CJ are directors CJ's made a movie uh, in a similar vein to yours uh, well, oh, yeah. three actually um, fanged up being his latest and Two Heads Creek was a very similar film for me in terms of that wonderful dark comedy vibe where you're going down a certain route and it twists and turns and take these lovely lovely sort of journey that the films can do for you so yeah that was one of the main reasons i wanted to talk to you uh, and not only that but signature who are distributing two heads creek in the uk uh distribute my arthur and merlin movie and uh, the horror collective who distributed it in the USA distributed my dare movie. So it's all like a little close family. So I thought for that reason, it'd be perfect to talk to you and your journey. Um, <laughs> isn't that interesting? I like that. I like the small little worlds that we create. Obviously this podcast, we talk about how things get made, how we go from literally sitting in our rooms like we are now coming up with a seed of an idea and then it becoming something people can watch it in a movie theater or at the moment at home um and obviously for you that journey's been really interesting because yours is from the acting side you've you've specifically gone well i'm an actor i know perhaps i'll write my own work was that what happened for you is that what your journey was because you've written shorts you've now written another feature as well called off the rails um and was that your journey with Two Heads Creek? Were you like, I want to write my own stuff and create my own work? Well, basically how I went about it was that um, the acting stuff, I just found so difficult and I couldn't wait around all the time waiting for work. 
Um, and like we were just talking about that kind of mad drive you have just to create all the time. I don't know how um, most actors who, who only act can actually kind of bear to exist without without kind of constantly doing something so you've got to you've got to find something else i think especially if you're an actor you've got to find some other interest otherwise everything just all your all your eggs are in that one basket um and for me i I just started writing things uh as soon as i left university because i just didn't get the work that i wanted straight away um and actually the way that both films ended up getting made was that I did, uh, I wrote a play and I had Rebecca Front read it. Um, oh, yeah. Brilliant actress, yes. actor. She and Jenny Galloway did this reading of it in a, in a, in a cabaret bar in the centre of London. And I basically just invited all the theatre people in the world um, and none of them came. Standard. <laughs> Standard, because, yeah, because yeah. there's just no money, they've got no time and, and they're kind of just disinterested, I suppose, in some ways, yeah. in, in what I had to say anyway. Um, and I invited loads of uh, film producers, uh, TV people as well. And the film producers, weirdly, uh, were the ones who all came and I got both gigs just from doing this one reading. Uh, and the play I wrote was complete shit, but uh, it had... <laughs> it must have been good enough. I mean, the fact well, that it, it got picked up, but in, in, um, now maybe looking back, you think it wasn't as good as it could be, but that's quite interesting. We, again, put our own work down. Uh, that's quite yeah. fascinating, isn't it? How did you decide who to um, invite? And how did you, you know, uh, what's, what was your process to getting people there? What was your game plan in in terms of I'm putting this thing on, how did you work out who you're going to invite there and sort of what reasons? I know it's a cast your mind back if you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I think it was literally just a case of sitting down with the uh, the person who was sort of producing this this evening and just and just going on Google and just finding as many independent film producers yeah. as I could. Uh, I can't really remember the actual strategy that we used, but we ended up coming up with this massive list. I mean, we sent out, it must have been close to, I don't know, 400 invitations to theatre. Wow. I, I imagine that probably only 40 of them came. I filled out the rest of the audience with um, with friends and family to give it that atmosphere. I think the only reason I got it, uh, I, I got the two gigs from that, is because um, I clearly, as an actor, had some uh, sort of instinct for dialogue. And that was all it was, because actually there was no structure to this play. It was a, it was a, it was a sort of crazy idea, basically just two people talking. But I think there was a sort of, there was a sort of funny zest to the dialogue um, uh, that people picked up on. And it meant that one, one producer wanted to, uh, just, just wanted to work with me on something. And another producer had an existing project. This is the Off the Rails one, which was in development for about, 10 years i think beforehand and because it was about um uh, women of that age he he thought I, I i might be able to write for women of that age which is why i got that gig so yeah, that was my that was that was i felt I, you know i feel like a bit of a fraud it's i feel like a bit of a maverick coming into the into the writing side of things but you've you've kind of got a i don't know i just i don't know you've got a think out of the box i don't know how, how how it was for you guys getting these things made it'd be interesting to hear yeah and you hear this a lot of people just kind of slam dunk their foot on their first attempt but i don't i think sometimes if you read all the the sidfield books in the world i don't know that's any more an advantage it just teaches you you can sometimes 
overlearn or, or overthink something and never end up writing anything because you're never good enough. Sometimes just being, you know, writing something, it getting picked up and now you're forced into, or not forced, but you're, now you're up and running. It's great. You're not, you, you've learned not to overthink it. It's, it's better just to make something and mm. not second guess yourself or chase perfection, which doesn't exist. So in many ways, um, I get it. You know, everyone suffers from the imposter syndrome in some way, shape or form, no matter what you do. But uh, no, there must be something there for, to, to, you know, to get, well, there clearly is something there to get picked up in this way. And I think you're, you're fortunate to not have, yeah, read every sort of self-help book out there on writing and then, you know. <laughs> but I have now, re- I, I have now read it. <laughs> That's the thing. I have now, I have obviously caught up. And I think CJ's right there. Sometimes you can get bogged down in that when you first start. And for me, I was an actor for years and I, I got frustrated too. And I put plays on and I really did everything I could to get myself, you know, noticed and, and wrote short films and wrote TV pilots and whatever I could. I didn't know structure or I just had an instinct. And I think when you first start, that instinct is your gold dust because you understand story. We've understood it since we were babies, since we were kids when they said, you know, Hansel and Gretel and Cinderella, beginning, middle and end. We get where the story beats should be enough to go. Someone will tell you if it's not. And then you go, oh, OK, I'll just move it around. And then when you start really getting into those books and it's fine they're brilliant and some amazing advice but sometimes you can go too far go well the midpoint has to be here the end this uh, going into the third bit has to be here but actually i don't know yes sure but also sometimes it's just good to throw shit at the wall and see what sticks you know you you guys must have read that um the one that everyone's read the blake snyder book uh yeah save the cat yeah it's just like it's and and i just remember certain things from it which is like if on page nine the protagonist doesn't look left and say Mm -hmm. i am a you know and then i just throw the script down and and shoot the right it's just like what are you talking it can't be like that but weirdly you do you know i watched the film parasite um again the Mm -hmm. other night and it is extraordinary how um even though it's such a unique film and it feels, you know, it feels so original. It, it, it kind of does adhere weirdly to, to that Blake Snyder formula in, in a way. I think it's, it's more subtle than that. It doesn't, it doesn't have these, these sort of massive focal turns that he talks about. But it is, um, there is some magic kind of Aristotelian, uh, you know, structure out there that we're all kind of after. And, and that, that film, which, you know, did so well, clearly clearly uh, adhered to it in some way which was surprising uh, but probably made it so brilliant i think i think that sort of like you say sometimes it's really it helps when you're stuck and you're in the trenches and you're on page 70 and you're going oh my god you know i've still got another i'm not even i'm not even a third through this um it's kind of good to go back right okay let's get rid of this we need to get to a certain point by this by this so it's sometimes good to have that structure but i know so many writers and so many people have been on the podcast who have different techniques and journeys and i think it's whatever's right for you if you find that you need the books and you need to go by page 10 i have to have had an inciting incident or if you go actually i don't give a shit about that i'm writing a story and it might be good enough i'll rework it later then fine it's whatever works for you to get to the end and give it to a producer for them to help you make it or make it better or a writer friend that's my, my advice for any writer is just write it don't get bogged down too much please try not to anyway otherwise 
The amount of, I don't know about you, Jordan, but the amount of scripts I've written that I've literally left at page 70. I haven't come back to them. What is it about page 70? It is, it like is that page, isn't it, where it's just isn't like, it? oh, I've given up. This is such promise, and actually it's just gone nowhere. And I just want to shite. What is it, 70? I'm terrible for starting. So why don't you, chap, send me over your page 70s, and I'll finish them off. That's how I do it. <laughs> well, that's what I like to work with other people. I know you write on your own, Jordan, and that's amazing. But for me, I, I love collaborating because that way I can get stuck on page 70 and literally chuck it over to CJ or whoever. And they go, oh, no worries. Yeah. I'll just do that scene. and Or they'll get stuck on a bit and I'll go, I'll write that scene. I like having another voice in my head. How do you deal with doing it on your own? How do you deal with just trying to find that through path? Again, to interrogate my psychopathy, I always write um, in my pants in my bedroom, and I'm and I talk to myself. Are they lucky pants? <laughs> no, I mean sometimes the pants don't even go in. I sometimes get a ball out just just for inspiration. <laughs> I have lots of voices in my head, and I'm just constantly talking to myself. I have tried working with um, other people, but I don't think I always get. Um, I, I, I'm not very good at brainstorming with other people, but I do actually think that maybe that kind of John Cleese way of, of being in the same room, you know, invested in your in your little world and then passing it on, like like you said, I think um, could, could could work. It's just something I have to explore. I haven't found the right person. I had some. I, I tried collaborating with um with an ex of mine, and it it was just sort of so disastrous. Oh, I've never gone back. Yeah. But yeah, but maybe yeah. not always the best. Idea. No, I don't know if his partner stuff is necessarily what you want to. You know, <laughs> that could that could end to a sort of most relationship but i think if it's a, a good friend and i also and this is you know putting it out there and again i'm not a lawyer but do have it in writing if you're going to work with someone else just put it in writing even if it's on a napkin we're working on this together that way no one can get burnt or ripped off or you can come to an agreement if someone's working more than the other person to say well i'm doing a lot more than you sure but just have it written down because then there's no worries later on when you need to do all your all your paperwork um who's got the option who owns it you're completely yeah. right that is and even if it's just you like say if, if it's just you writing it do your own option just have a letter on your own letterhead saying i own this i'm writing it because mm. that is what you need when you give it to a producer or a distributor or money actually exchanges hands they need a, a chain of title it's called and that chain of title is literally you saying i own this work so if you do it from the very beginning, you might as well. Uh, why not? It's yours then. I, I think most people who are starting out don't realize how important those contracts are and actually what you're selling half the time. I mean, when I was starting out, I think I was just so happy to be talking to producers that literally yeah. I, I, I would have given them I would have given them a body part. You know, they just gave me a look. The other bollock. Yeah. The other bollock. Exactly. The unlucky yeah. bollock. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. But it's so important that you properly go through that with a tooth and really have someone explain to you well, what does this mean? Because the ownership of an idea is really muddy territory and yeah. it has it's caused a lot of problems for me up to this point. I'm only kind of, you know, four or five years through it. And what kind of problems have you had? Actually, it's interesting. What, what, um, yeah, what have you ran into? I mean, I've just had brilliant experiences in the last two films I've made, so it's nothing to do with them. Uh, but I think just with other things that are in the pipeline, I, I realize I've just I've signed over formats and, and ideas to producers, and it's just you know, and, it, and it, in a way, it's fine and it's standard sometimes. But you, you Michaela Cole, for example, um, mm -hmm. she's just done. She's just performed a real coup de food because she basically forwent that massive check from Netflix 
so mm-hmm. that she could keep the ownership rights for the BBC contract. And I think hats off to her because that actually takes real balls to have, you know, complete faith in, in what you're writing. And now she'll be far richer for it. It's just, it's, it's difficult having that self-confidence and, 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 and really knowing that what you make is valuable, even if it's your first thing. Um, and in a way, if you're more, if it is your first thing and you're more kind of insistent upon those contractual agreements and you seem to know what you're talking about, you'll get a lot more respect from the person who's buying it from you. And, and, and it's just, it's a, it's a difficult bit of confidence to get because I think we're so wrapped with insecurity and we kind of don't believe in what we're doing so much um, that you, you, you know, you just maybe just need to kind of, that's why having an agent is, is good because it mm-hmm. allows that business acumen just to be outsourced and you don't have to go into it. And you just have to realize that there's nothing more uncreative than thinking about contracts. And it's something that, you know, I just don't want to do. And I don't want to talk about it as well. I don't know what you guys are like with it. It's true. Well, it can, it can sully the relationships. Um, but, uh, by the way, everyone, that Michaela Cole program is called I May Destroy You. If you haven't seen it, it is out in America as well now. Um, and it's on, what's it on here? It's on um, BBC, isn't it? I think it's BBC. And it's HBO, I think. HBO well. have taken it in America. But I, we know, me and CJ know the director, Sam Miller, who directed it with her, uh, some of the episodes. And he's a fascinating stories. He's, I think he's on episode really early. 14 yeah. or something yeah. of this podcast, really which is like three years ago, really early. Yeah, so it's yeah. before he'd made that. But I see him quite regularly, and he said Michaela Cole's a force of nature. So when yeah. she was like, I'm doing it this way, and Netflix can go do one. Uh, but basically, they offered a, a massive amount of money to go and do it over there and their way. And she just said, no, I want to do it this way. And like you said, Jordan, fair play to her. Because I think it's really difficult when like, when you first start, you've got an idea, you're desperate to get anything made, especially as an actor and especially as a creative. You're like, I, I don't know anyone. Okay, just throw your stuff out there. And as Jordan said, it's so important to have contracts in place. And if you haven't got an agent, learn what that contract is understand it from podcasts like this but from amazing books just learn what a contract is and find a lawyer friend or ask ask me i'll help you um (laughs) it's 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 true though this is why we're doing this to help filmmakers so all the mistakes we've learned hopefully you won't um make them as well so now you'd written a few plays and you've had it performed and they said right okay we really want you to come and write this a couple of things at the time so you were kind of commissioned in a way to write off the rails was two heads creek at the same time or was off the rails a very separate right could you come and write this so two heads creek yeah so off the rails was was more of a uh, a straight commission because i was a remedial writer on that so i had a script to work with um i and, see uh i uh yeah I, I i i made it i made it my own i was given a lot of kind of you know creative um bill kenwright who's the who's the producer he's quite a very famous theater producer as well he's massive um, bill kenwright he's huge massive, shows yeah. and he owns the football club he always talks about with me everton everton yeah yeah he's always yeah. on about that. yeah uh, he's a lovely man and he yeah. have you met him i yeah. met him once and he said to me um are you a defender first thing you said and i went oh, i'm a striker really and he went shame i could have signed you for everton because <laughs> you're tall <laughs> and whatever it's yeah, so yeah, random nice. like, all right yeah, yeah. i'd have taken that signing though did you, did you say <laughs> oh well, i could be a defender i mean i, I did yeah so i've played in defense a few times <laughs> <laughs> i think he was making small talk though cg i don't think he was being serious yeah. um, he wasn't watching me play sadly so <laughs> so that's really interesting how is it taking someone else's script and reworking that as your own because it's almost like 
taking from a book, isn't it? It's a novel, right? How do I adapt this and bring my own work to it? And will people be happy with that? How did you go about that? I, I think the difficulty is, is that when you have something that, that, you know, that they have already, there'll be parts of it which they love and parts of it which they don't. And um, you're always you, you're always trying to navigate through those. So you've got to keep certain, I, I found you had to keep certain parts or make certain parts work that they love sequences, but weren't working structurally or whatever. So it was a bit more, it was a bit more technical, but I kind of, again, I just recourse to snappy dialogue and, and, and hope that that, and it kind of did uh, carry it through and it and kind of hopefully gave it a kind of more distinct voice. But to be honest with you, it, it does take, it does take pretty amazing producers to take punts on young, inexperienced uh, writers. I mean, we are we are cheaper, I suppose, and that's the one good thing. But Bill really, uh, I, mean, I, I owe him an awful lot because he's given me an awful lot of opportunity. So it, it was, uh, and 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 the and, and the creative scope was was huge. So I didn't really feel like I was enchained too much by that that previous script but it was totally different to writing an original idea where where mm. as a writer you're basically just god until the first day of um a principle in which case it, then you're just totally forgotten about and no one cares wishes you were dead yeah totally adam and eve come along and just take the apple away and that's it it's, it's right god no more you've just messed up you know what i mean it's true so you get that taken away and that's really fascinating as the writer just to jump back slightly on that how what, what was your process then from taking someone else's script like that if you don't mind going into a little bit more for our listeners out there did you then uh, did you restructure stuff did you put notes up on your wall how did you actually dive into it would you because it's quite daunting and actually you must have been shitting yourself as well you know or, or you know getting this right i suppose in some way being your first i think the only way that i could make it work was to start with a blank a blank document mm -hmm. and um the bits that needed to be kept in i would actually re i would when i got to them i would rewrite them in but in either either using my own uh either using my own dialogue or, or 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 not but i would actually write it in myself so i was going through it and it was kind of mine because otherwise otherwise i think otherwise i think it's just very difficult to get that distinct voice running throughout it and i think as a writer you you do want to have your your imprint some you know it needs to be cogent and it needs to be throughout because otherwise you get these sort of overproduced uh sort of scripts where with lots of different writers on it it can feel quite schizophrenic so that's how i did it i i, I started afresh and, and wrote it all and if i needed to keep things in i would just rewrite them out and for some reason that was that was quite useful but i mean it's still i mean god it still took it still took a good two years to get that made uh two three years yeah I mean, these days it seems to be normal. It just seems to be the normal amount of time. When I first started trying to make films, I was like, why, why isn't it happening now? We've I got know, a script, everyone wants to go. It just doesn't. Things take time. The Dare's six years in total. I think Arthur and Merlin was just the quickest I've ever, ever had. You know, that? from we, we were shooting in November last year, November, December, and it came out in april so it wow. was like such a short turnaround and that uh, it's unheard of it's kind of just unlikely was it in development before and then you were you attached no. quite late in the day jarzel oh really uh, no, uh, I, I was I was attached, but it was literally a couple of months before that. Their script had been written maybe a year before, so yeah, I suppose yeah. you're right. The script, and but then that got totally reworked, and you know, almost a month before shooting, and then right, let's go. 
Uh, yeah. Isn't it crazy how sometimes it can be that quick? They knew their route to market, though, it's signature again. So they knew their route to market with, if we make this by this point, we can pre-sell it for this amount and get it on the shelves on this date, done. So that's already sold. So therefore, you have to deliver the movie, <laughs> even if your post's not totally finished, because you have they're, they're the dates they need it by. Um, but that's, that's their strategy. And was it a, a question of, that's the money you've got, um, so if you needed another VFX yeah. shot, it was like, nope, that's all you've got. You've got literally that and that's it. No, we could ask. That was the thing. You could ask if you explained why you needed it. You'd try and move, you know, Lucinda yeah. and Jeep were fantastic with the budget and try to move things around. But most of the time it was like, look, we just need, if you just another, you know, whatever, 500 mm. quid for that shot, you, you could then get that VFX, which would make it look nicer. But we're talking, you're in a really small amount. It wasn't yeah. like, oh yeah, no worries. Here's another 50 grand. Go shoot something else or whatever. <laughs> Definitely not. But, I, I, but like you say, it's so unheard of that that happens. It's usually it takes so long. CJ, yours were long as well. I mean, it's right. Yeah. The, so the first with well, my first feature, the, the micro micro budget freak out, which I made way many years ago, <clears throat> that was evenings, weekends, um, myself and, and, pals just shooting what we, i think we've mentioned many times before it was more like shooting 30 short films and stitch them together it took about four years to make so that's not in i mean i don't think any films are made that way really second film took a while to get going maybe maybe about a year uh, there was a script and another producer it got developed with other people did just nothing we didn't quite fit there it wasn't quite seeing it the same way and then some other producers uh, saw a short we'd made they picked it up and they made it so maybe yeah probably about three or so years fanged up the more recent film was completely different as in i think you know uh when was it early october i get the email you've been recommended as a director or we'd like to chat to you and i think november the 14th i was on set first day of shooting and that included a, a full script rewrite as well so it was pretty breakneck <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty insane. So, yeah, third time was a completely And different. that came out how long after you'd finished shooting? It was... Um, uh, two years to the day, I think. I don't know, maybe a bit less because we had Fright Fest and then it came out in Fright Fest and then a year later it got released officially. So maybe a year and a half or so from shooting yeah. to, to release. So that's what I mean. These things take time there's no mm. everyone seems to think that it's quick it's not for those newcomers out there films aren't quick people aren't returning your emails straight away get used to it it's a long process have more than one project is my massive advice so you're you're now jordan you're in this sort of world you're suddenly now writing a feature film that i imagine you were getting some money for which is just different level which is incredible for anyone to get paid to write something is just yeah you must feel amazing and during this time you're you're acting you're, you're doing some great work i mean i loved you in um victoria yeah i thought you were fantastic and uh, you also did love and friendship and darkest hour you know some you were you were working you know it's so were you juggling everything at the same time yeah yeah i mean that's very that's very kind i don't know if i was uh i don't know if i was good in any of them but yeah um yeah again uh, we bring ourselves down don't we we can't take a compliment as english no. people no i was terrible my films <laughs> i was laughing out loud then because uh jordan's uh reaction to your uh when you mentioned him acting he sort of like shook his head like oh my god uh jordan why why that reaction <laughs> I don't know. It's just the worst thing. I mean, I thought that this, you know, 
the, the kind of cringe of watching yourself act wouldn't be the same when you write things. But actually, when you write things, it's even worse. It's so excruciating, like sitting in a... I went, I went to some of the test screenings of these two, and it's just, it's just so painful. Um, I don't know why. I hate every, every minute of it in a way. I, I, yeah, I, I just find it unbearable. I don't really? know what you guys feel about it. I find it unbearable, yeah. Because like, if I'm on stage, I can kind of modulate what I need to do to get the reaction I want out of the audience, which is basically laughter. Um, mm. And if, if, a, if a joke, which they often do, falls flat, you're just like, well, that's, that's forever now. And that will fall flat until, until I'm dead. And that's it. <laughs> yes. And you just think, so oh, true. what was I doing? But no, but, you know, it is, it's important to do that. And I think actually you learn, you learn, what is it David Mamet says that the best way to, le- you know, to be a writer is to, is to have your work read out loud and then to be humiliated by it. And it, and it has mm-hmm. been the biggest learning curve because, because you just never want to experience that again. So you do everything you can uh, when you're in your pants and holding onto your testicles and writing. So as not <laughs> to get that, you know, to get it right. I find it um, excruciating to watching your own work back in a crowded cinema is or, or in front of the execs when you do a test screening. Oh my God, that, that was, I, I couldn't breathe. My fingers had all clammed up and I couldn't clench them anymore. And I thought I'm going to have a panic attack right in this cinema here. All the lights come up afterwards. Oh my God. I always say that um, it's so weird when you uh, when you've you know done film school or whatever your path is, but when you first start out, you're desperate to make stuff, and you're even more desperate to show it to people. That's the thing you think, that's the thing you dream in your head. You just you're so excited about showing it to people, and the one the thing I hate the most now, the thing I detest, is sitting in a cinema with people watching my film. It's the worst. And why is that? I sort of destroyed <laughs> the thing I love in a way, but I still want to do it. I want to do it again and again and again. But I I hate the bit I thought I, I would always love. Why is that? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's important. Not I, I think it's important when you are in the execs room and all of that. Um, to 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 repress that as much as possible i think um i think you do have to be enthusiastic and positive about it and it is definitely against the english way of uh of, of approaching one's own work but it is it, it is important uh just because it's just because it's not perfect and not how you want it to be i i, I you, you've kind of got to let go of that you've got to accept the fact that it's always going to be an unfinished project it always could have been better even even you know the greatest masterpieces could have carried on through editing processes and probably made them better but there is a point which you have to let go and just and just say well that is that's what that is and i mean the nice thing about that big time delay is that i'm now you know because i because i made these two films ages ago i now feel like well i know much more what i'm doing i've got other projects i can focus on and that is the best you've got to look, kind of just look forward and just and just learn to, you know, you know, learn learn to love your mistakes in a way because it is. Um, I'm just starting out on it, but it is a, you know, it's a long journey, and hopefully, I'll be. The, the big worry is that it's so shit that you'll never be able to make a film again. I think that's the, and that's the thing that we all kind of really worry about. But that know, is it, the worry, yeah. It's great advice. It's so true. You have to just try and forget about it. Otherwise you're going to be tinkering forever like George Lucas and your films are just, I mean, you're always going to think, and it's not, it's done. People enjoy it. People hate it. Deal with it. It's fine. It's okay. You've made a movie. Move on to the next one. Get better. Learn from it. That's all you can do. You can, but we do procrastinate and we do get hurt by reviews and we do 
get injured and, uh, and burnt and uh, oh my god but if someone's saying oh don't worry we we, we want you to write another one or direct another one you're going well, okay well i'm i must be doing something <laughs> right you know yeah, yeah. um so why two heads creek let's come to this now because you start to write off the rails you are developing that as for actually and then you, you came up with two heads creek again was this something for you to star in did you always think i'm writing this to be in it what was the process there the idea the, the idea always was that i would uh, that i'd be uh, that, I'd, that i'd be the lead in it it was going to be quite a tall order because financing um film financing depends so much on the talent um and yep. i don't i didn't have a massive i think victoria kind of helped uh help my help my image and help my sellability um and it took the producer having having a lot of faith in that uh and in in my work which i was really grateful for talent is the most important thing and you know i mean in terms of advice on talent i do personally think that a good handwritten letter to um to a star mm -hmm. if that's what you need to get your film made can go an awful long way and i've written I've written so many of these letters. I've got actually unsent ones right in front of me here um, because I, I don't know. I think I think I think you've got to realise with actors is that they're also very um, they're also very nervous, uh, anxious people who don't really know what the future looks like for them. And you can speak to them on a on, on a human level in a way that a producer can't because a producer's always kind of looking at uh i don't know producers producers uh, rightfully are kind of more exploitative when it comes to talent they're thinking well what can i they're thinking about the bottom line which is what they need to do whereas you can you can talk to the heart of somebody and you can t tell your story why you want them to do it and it can be a really really good way of getting them on board early which will make your uh, project just so much more valuable um and 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 i'm and I, that that's my new my new strategy is just get the talent attached early um and then and then things tend to fall into place a lot easier down the line or at least people will answer if you've got those big names um people will answer emails i mean you know in off the rails when when julie dench got uh, attached to it that just that just you know propelled its value uh hugely um and it already had like it already had like a, a really good uh, a really good cast attached to it but that was they just changed the game so if you can if you can somehow do that and i do unless you know these people somehow i do think handwriting a letter i always spray mine with a bit of aqua de palma as well uh if <laughs> if you want to know my real secret anything you can do to like grab the attention because not to sound too wanky but i have received handwritten letters for people from people who've seen me on um on tv and stuff and it's always those handwritten ones as opposed to the sort of slightly strange uh, dick pics you get sent on instagram though so, you know it's the handwritten letters I'm sorry that you reply to, about and those. sometimes the dick pics if they're really nice dicks it's fine don't worry i have to say i have to say uh veet is what you need but um honestly <laughs> handwrite them and then you'll <laughs> i think that's I, I love that advice as well how do you uh in handwriting in your beautifully handwritten letters how do you deliver what's your what's your mode of delivery to the star without oh, you know, yeah, good point. hanging around the stage door um, or, or how, yeah, did you get, how did you, how did you get your letters scan it in 
well, I sh- maybe I should. No, I won't. I won't read you out the one that I can see in front of me because it's just too cringy. But I think it's always about. I think always start. Um, a, flattery goes a long way because you know you know we are dealing with narcissists. You know, myself included. There's you know, flattery is good. Say what you've seen them in. I think is a is a really good thing. Try not to go for the obvious thing. Um, for me, I always think that if you've seen an actor on stage, uh, that's usually something that they're incredibly proud of, and there will be a, a, a lot more um, evocative a memory for them. And then I would go with um, I go by telling them a bit about yourself, um, and uh, and that make it as personal as possible. Personal is everything, and make them feel like a human being. Make yourself feel like a human being, and then you're not. You're not basically asking, you know, uh, a, a kind of million dollar star to add a million dollars to your budget, which is fundamentally what you're doing. You're actually saying, well, look, I would really like to work with you as a person because I think you're a really interesting person. I'm an interesting person, X, Y, and Z, and this is a really interesting story. So it, it's an exciting prospect. That's my hmm. method. I mean, if everyone does it, then I, maybe it won't work. I don't know, but I do think it goes a long way. I, I agree. Uh, but I think what CJ was asking, um, and maybe it was broken up a little bit, was how do you get the letters to the stars? <laughs> you mustn't let me just nonsense on endlessly for a minute. You can, uh, how do I get, I, usually I just send them to uh, agents. If you have a producer already, then give them to the producer and the produ- it's kind of the producer's job to figure out the best way to get them read. But agents do, you know, pass these things on. You've just got to try and make sure that it doesn't get lost in the kind of fan mail box, as it were. Well, what we've started to do now and on my latest project, we have done videos to the talent. So me and my co-writer literally present and then we put images over the top of their films or them and explain why but it's per more i suppose it's much more personal and that way i can send it in an email as an attachment to say is i put it on him right. or whatever so, but it's because you're a lovely guy so therefore if you're talking to the camera it, it, it engages a little bit more and you know you can be trying to be funny or try not to do it in your pants with your testicles out might yeah. be a better way to approach it depends who you're approaching you know what i mean but i think that would be that's a really good idea basically yeah. why that works is that it's obvious that you've put effort into it and and you'd have to be you know the, the, at the end of the day these stars are people and they will appreciate if you've if you've gone to those lengths and you know it's difficult not to reply when someone's really taken the time and it's not mm. too creepy. Don't be creepy. I mean, that's the best. Don't be creepy. That's the thing. Talking of creepy, because I, I, Two Heads Creep is great. But how, again, let's talk about, we were nearly there in talking about how you actually came up with the idea, why, you know, you, you want something that you wanted to be in. Um, that's great. I love that we're going all over the place. This is going to be a really cool podcast. How did you you'd sort of go right okay here's the idea because it didn't originally wasn't it originally set in norfolk is that right you were saying yeah. it down that lines and it changed obviously over producers coming in and you starring in it potentially rather than getting someone else uh talk us through the, the process of writing it and what changed so it was just about where the money kind of came from fundamentally oh. and and because this sort of australian um gold mine appeared on the horizon uh, it made it, it was it was quite easy to transpose this sort of heavily uh you know this this big obvious swipe at nationalism to um, an australian context uh 
and the outback is just as inbred as Norfolk, so it kind of it, it kind of fitted <laughs> nicely. As as your lawyer, um. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's okay. I mean, I know Norfolk. I know Norfolk really struggles with this sort of inbreeding thing. But um, I, sp- I, I I read a book called Waterland when I was growing up about um, inbreeding in Norfolk, and it, it's it's a, it's got a long history of it's it, and it's something you should be proud of. It really did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, so yeah. this, uh, this the story is uh, it's basically about a timid butcher and his drama queen twin sister uh, and they quit the hostile confines of a post-brexit britain and adventure to australia in search of their birth mother but the seemingly tolerant townsfolk are hiding a dark meaty secret oh I love it. It's a comedy horror, and I love the vegan angle. Being a vegan, I was like, this is cool and funny and really <laughs> relevant. And even though the fact that you filmed this a while ago, or you wrote it certainly, you know, maybe a couple of years ago at least, um, the fact that you had all these elements in that felt very current and felt very real seemed to me brilliant and really enjoyable. How did the idea come about to do something like that? and fun and dark and twisted so i mean i i wrote kind of um the the a, a kind of blueprint of it um just about 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 cannibalism in norfolk i don't really know why i ended up doing i really really can't tell you the real reason i ended up doing that I and mean, it makes no sense i always want to do something about cannibalism i got obsessed with cannibalism after university uh for some reason and i love Silence of the Lambs, which I watched far too young, which explains an awful lot about me. Mm. And uh, and then and then basically Brexit all happened. And I thought, oh, well, that's quite an interesting kind of angle to take with this. I watched loads of um, 1970s cannibal films uh, and they were usually Italian. Um, they were usually crap and they uh, all... <laughs> They all follow the same thing, which was a, a, a woman usually goes missing in the Amazon forest and her, uh, her brother or sister goes out looking for them and lo and behold, they've been eaten um, by a kind of a, a village of cannibals. And it, was, it, it had these kind of really, really heavy racial overtones to it. And, it was a, and the kind of cannibal myth was a way of othering um, uh, natives, quote unquote. So it kind of, it was quite easily transposed to that, um, to that big, uh, that big political moment in time and gave it, uh, you know, just gave it, gave, gave the sort of silliness a bit more of a, just a, a bit of a satirical bite. I mean, not, not, it's not subtle in any way. And I kind of never wanted to make it subtle. Um, but that, that's how it kind of, so I remember, the, the the day of the the referendum result, David Dimbleby was uh, reading out the you know the kind of shock result, and and he just I mean he he'd obviously been up all night and he was bleeding from his mouth and his eyes were blue and I just thought well <laughs> this is horrific I mean what a what a what a time uh, what a time to write it so it then that that's when it kind of changed its angle. The other thing to say about this long period of time between coming up with the idea and making it is that it will change so much whatever you write uh, in development mm-hmm. and you you mu- you mustn't resist that change you know you must resist certain changes if you feel very strongly about it but do let it evolve because um that's what's quite nice about films is that they are constantly evolving and i've always been i mean for me i was shocked by how how different the end product is to that first you know that first spark of an idea and uh and yeah, it's quite amazing in a way. How did you 
managed to get Jane Chard and, and, and Judd Tilliard on board as your producers. Were they on from an early stage with you on this? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Jane, so Jane came to that um, to that to that reading, and then and then Jane met uh, Judd uh, at a producers conference, and that's where the that's where the idea, um, you know, took a new route to Australia, and because there was there was money, there was a place to film out there. Judd had this um, had this town in the outback of Australia that he had some connection with, um, with the pub. Uh, at and uh, it kind of it just all weirdly fell into place. It was it was it was very unexpected, and we adapted the story to make it kind of to make it match its audience. And it, and it was it, it was very strict um, in terms of the divide between um, the, ink, the 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 co production, uh, which was sort of ten percent English and ninety percent Australian, and it meant that the my co star had to be Australian to make it work. And luckily, I knew this actor i knew catherine um who is an english actor really but she happens to be australian so it kind of i don't know it magically know. just all made sense so in t- so you, at what point did your director get involved did the script change with their involvement or what was the process there jesse got involved um probably about a year before we shot i think um we had uh we 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 we'd actually taken it to we'd taken it to a few other directors but um it didn't the you know the kind of magic wasn't there but with Jesse there was there was a connection he really got the story it spoke to him and then it changed an awful lot actually when he got on board because he um he is a he's a writer director so he 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 kind of he he can he engages with scripts in a brilliant way and i mean i think most i don't know i mean most directors uh, nowadays are kind of writer directors aren't they you kind of have to be in some way you do i certainly am but i know cj you will really work on the script with the writer so you wouldn't say you're a writer but you're rewriting it through the writer i suppose in some way you're putting your stamp on it correct yeah yeah when Jesse came on board, though, it was like um, it was just it was just an amazing breath of fresh air because uh, we really we really went through like hours and hours and hours, pages and pages, um, and it was just so nice that he had completely visualized in his own way what I'd written, and then it was about figuring out, kind of just sharing that vision together for a time. Um, so that was that was an incredibly collaborative process um and and he was and he was brilliant at it absolutely brilliant been there before i've i've worked with a writer slash star so how was it for him and yourself and that relationship as a writer slash star because were were there ever times where you saw it one way he saw another and you would insist on wanting to play it a certain way but he was interpreting it visually a different way how did that all come together fall apart come back together again there were lots of arguments but not yeah they're not bad i actually think of, i actually think passionate arguing is is good when you yeah. before you get on set i think it's really important that everyone interrogates as much as possible and really says really says what they feel so yeah we argued about certain points there's no doubt about it and and i was vindicated on the ones that i stuck with and he was vindicated the ones that he stuck with and it kind of you know it, right. it, it made sense and we understood each other when we got down to shooting i think when we when we started shooting he let me off the kind of writing responsibility outside of if there were problems with the with the story that the actors had flagged and stuff, I was on set, so I would answer those queries. But he really just, it, it, you know, it became his baby, and I was quite 
I was quite grateful for that because he just, he took the reins. The, the really sad thing about writing films, for me, it's not sad necessarily, but it is, it's something that I've learned and why I'm interested in the future to moving into directing is that when you're developing the script, it's the writer's project. When you're on set, it's the director's yeah. project. In the edit, it's half the director's project and then suddenly it becomes the producer's project and that's the final yeah. That's the final sort of share of power. And I think Absolutely um, it's, it's not the same with television in any way, but um, with film, that is, that is the structure. And unless you're an exec producer on your films, that is how it goes down. And that was great uh, with Jesse because I was really relieved as an actor that he was just taking complete charge of the, of the story and what he wanted it to be. Because as an actor, you want to, you don't want to, I, I don't want to be in my writing mind. I don't want to be in my naked pants in my room. I want to be, I want to be kind of <laughs> present and, you know, and, and playing with the other actors. Mm-hmm. And he let me do that. Um, and then in the, yeah. And then in the edit where the film's actually made, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's another argument, another arguing session. Uh, as you as you must both know totally yeah that's the stage where the film really comes together in the edit you see what you missed you see what you've got you can reshape a whole performance you can cut someone out if you want you can make someone else the lead so many things can change in the edit i've dubbed over entire performances in um some quite well-known films uh it's my voice and the the poor actor they didn't they didn't like the voice of it yeah he just got completely cut out and it's just all adr I remember a whole scene I was doing and this poor guy, because he couldn't quite get the English accent right. Um, I won't say what film, but yeah, it, it just, it's extraordinary what you can do in an edit. Yeah, I've been there, <clears throat> been there. Not, not a, uh, certainly in terms of having to get an actor who wasn't quite on board on set and get them in post. Well, almost, they'd almost found their feet by the end of the shoot. So when we came to post, it's like, well, let's ADR this. Now you've got the character. Let's mm. let's look at it again, and with a, some mm. really uh, really careful editing, completely reshape the performance uh, with some heavy ADR and heavy editing. Amazing. But it, it, it worked, you know. It's all good. So basically, John, you're saying that really, as a writer, you kind of want to have an exec producer credit, so that you are allowed in the edit room and you are allowed some say on uh, you know how the film is actually going to end up. I think it's a good idea if you can get it. I mean, it's not it's not the end of the world if you don't, because because fundamentally, you know, it's it is about working with people that you trust. I think that's I think that's a really important thing to do. But um, I, yeah, having that having that say, I mean, I was very lucky because I was I was always included in the edit in, in the films, uh, even though I wasn't contractually a, a kind of obliged or had the right to do so. But mm. it, it, I mean, it would for me feel quite weird if, as a writer, it was just like, well, you've done what you need to do, and we'll 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 take it from here. It's it's a, uh, I I I, told, I think it needs to happen because I think um, the director needs to, especially with film, just it, you know, you, you need you need that singular voice. I think it's oh, it's always nice to have a say, isn't it? <laughs> well, it is, especially when you've written it and you're starring in it. You you want to have that say. You do. Yeah. So, director, I want to have my say. Uh, it, if you're just the writer, and I say that in a in the nicest possible way, it's still amazing. You've managed to write a film that has been produced that is out there. And even if yeah, that's when, if it's not getting great views, that's when you can say, "Oh, they changed it. That wasn't my film. I wrote or whatever." You know, you've always got that power. So, I, I think it's 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 a fascinating journey making films, and, and no one you'd never guess what it was like when you started out and you're writing plays. You'd never think it was 
what it is. And it's just so many things can go wrong. There's so many balls in the air, literally in your bedroom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My testicles have become a real theme of this uh, podcast. Which I might even mean. name this episode, uh, the testicle episode. <laughs> we try and get into testicles on most podcasts where we can. <laughs> it's important really to get in there. When you feel really overwhelmed, um, how do you change your mindset to thinking, okay, well, especially with the new stuff you're writing now, when you're feeling overwhelmed by it, okay, there's pressure. How, how do you switch your mindset when you're having a down day or whatever to go, all right, I need to concentrate on this? I have learned just to let myself off. If, you, if you're having a bad day, then you're having a bad day. It's probably best actually to walk away and do something else and just take that as a weekend day. I think I think if you if you allow yourself if you say look I'm I haven't got a structured life I'm not working for KPMG I I, I I've chosen to do this I can take weekends when I want because I you know because I th- there was a time earlier you know during lockdown which I just wasn't taking a day off at all I was just lacerating myself constantly and I'll probably forever do that but sometimes the best thing and you must both experience this walking away and doing something else can suddenly just your mind does that wonderful weird Proustian thing where it all just slots into place going to bed can be the best thing to do sometimes getting really drunk can be the best thing to do sometimes i mean it's just cocaine heroin crystal meth it all cocaine it's just <laughs> i just miss those days yeah those halcyon days uh, yeah I, I think do something else is my big bit of advice if you're if you're you know um butting against the the the, the right yes. blocking wall. i think that's good advice but spot on have you got better at saying no to things because like I said, when we, we were talking earlier about when we first started and how we're desperate to get things made and please like my script and like me, etc. Have you because you're established now, have you got to the point, like me and CJ, where we can say no to things? Have you found it easier to say no to things? And what's your advice to doing so? <laughs> I'm not very good at saying no to things, to be honest with you. Um I, I, I'll usually, I mean, I just usually lie. I know that's a terrible thing to admit, especially on <laughs> the podcast, but I just, you know, if you, if you really don't want to do something, it's, I just find it's best to lie. I, you know, you just don't know. You just don't know because then I, I, I worry if I say no to something, then something else falls through, then, you know, maybe I want to, do, I don't know. Anyway, I, I'm not good at it at all. I'm not good at being honest. Uh, I don't find it easy, um, but I'm glad that both of you do. I think it's a really important skill to have um, and, and, a, and a blessed position to be in. Yeah. You know, I definitely don't find it easy. Could be stupid as well. Maybe. I mean, sometimes, I mean, Giles, we've talked about this before, but Mm. you can say no to the wrong stuff. I said no to stuff, which I was like, my spidey sense was tingling. I was like, no, everything about this is all wrong. And then the project went away and someone else made it. I'm like, oh, I was completely wrong about that. You know, so it can go against you as well (laughs) is the other way to. So keeping keeping the plate spinning and maybe sort of tentatively agreeing to everything is there's some merit to that as well. Well, the other way to do it is just to say yes to everything. <laughs> so therefore, you, you, your no is a yes. Uh, even if you don't want to, you say yes, 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 and then do everything. <laughs> you could do that route, which is frightening. But imagine, like say, you're not missing the opportunities. It's just another option. I'm not doing that, but I'm saying that's someone might want to take that route because actually it can open up many things. Like CJ said there, you, you, saying yes actually could be really useful um 
but also saying no is a much more powerful thing um and it's fascinating um so what's what are you working on at the moment jordan what's next you don't have to say what they are but in terms of your process and where you are like you said you haven't stopped working a lot in this lockdown has it been writing it has been purely writing i think i'm i think i'm going out to shoot something in uh, in monaco um I love that. I think I'm off to shoot something in Monaco. <laughs> Which is like my only slightly wanky thing that I can say. I think I might not, it might all fall through because of COVID. But um, that would be nice. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's not, you know, it's not massive. No, acting's been pretty slow, I think, for everybody. All of my friends are going for a really tough time. I think it's really difficult. I'm really grateful that I, uh, that I write. Uh, it's been mm. a, a really important, soothing, uh, therapeutic thing for me to do. So in terms of what I'm doing next, I've got um, I've got a lot of TV stuff um, in the pipeline. Mm. In, uh, acting or uh, directing and writing? Writing. I've written about three pilots that have all that are all kind of ready to go, and there will be a big backlog because presumably everybody's been doing what I've done over lockdown and just written loads. Um, so we're, mm-hmm. we're we're actually we're pitching them at the moment. They've got some good people attached to them so uh with any luck they will they will get the green light who knows and then i've got in terms of film stuff i've got um yeah i've got another i've got another i've got another two films um that have been commissioned uh so they'll be made in 2035 probably yes probably then absolutely but how amazing congratulations what a what a journey you've had you know and to now be commissioned to write is what it's a dream for so many people out there listening and it's amazing you've got there and well done and it's from hard work perseverance and you getting off your ass and going well i'm going to put play on i'm going to write it i'm going to invite people that's huge people don't realize how important it is to do that stuff and be proactive and make shit happen for yourself and you've done that and it's a great achievement the most important thing that i could say to anybody out there is that the nicest thing about our industry is that there really are very few rules um when it comes to putting things on so just just have the balls if we go right back to the fundamental theme of this whole podcast it's all about just having the balls just to put yourself out there and talk and you know write these letters to people send these homemade pornographic videos to you know to talent i mean just just there's no way of getting through it you don't have to you don't always have to wait you might have to wait for an email uh, every now and again but you 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 can you can break the rules don't think that you are constrained to to follow any set path because the nicest thing about being a freelance creative psychopath is that you are in charge of your own destiny to a certain extent if the producer's right jordan waller this has been amazing thank you so much for chatting with us i've really enjoyed this it's been really chilled and fun and really really like that um where can people find you on the social media to bother you and send you naked pictures and (laughs) pictures and stuff i don't do twitter because it's too scary for me but i I do kind of read twitter and that again but um no i'm on uh, i'm on instagram Mm -hmm. as myself jordan waller you know what that's about it really i i that's that's as far as i go that's where you go that's fine if you really want to find you there (laughs) or send send him a perfumed handwritten letter to his agent (laughs) and (laughs) see if you can get hold of him that way uh cj where can people follow you uh, at C James direct on Twitter, but like Jordan, I don't tend to touch Twitter too much. I, I find it cold and, uh, not a fun place to be shocking Insta. I tend to keep, <laughs> keep more personal. I think I do. Anyway, I think it's, I think it's private. Um, 
but before I go, Jordan, I just I love your collection of bowls in that cupboard over your left shoulder. Um, <laughs> do you want to see something really good? Look at this. Yeah, I thought I sort of saw a head, a dismembered head. Jordan's been looking at this the whole that. time. Look at that. Oh, the whole way through. So been basically, at this head. Jordan has now got hold of a uh, well. What would you call it? Describe it for everyone, please, Jordan. So this is the the severed head of um, of. Uh, Clive, who features in the film Two Heads Creek, I think he's strictly speaking my uncle. And Jesse O'Brien, the director, uh, said that I could keep it, but it disintegrates because it's it it's does, made of yeah. it made of something. So I have to spray it with uh, with this alcohol solution, which I do kind of every week. And it is he's kind of going under the eye of it, From but he's mouth. a beautiful thing. And sometimes I put him <laughs> in my in my bed to scare sexual partners, of which there have been very few recently. <laughs> of course, um, but this it's is amazing. Fun. <laughs> Look at that. Because fascinatingly, we had four of them on the dare. And when we were supposed to shoot this scene, um, they were all going on spikes at the end of the dare. It's the original end of the dare, so it's not a spoiler. And um, by the time we got to shoot this scene, because when we were supposed to shoot it, it snowed. So we couldn't go out and shoot. The next time we could actually shoot this scene was a year later a whole year later when all my casts were available the studio was available and we could actually shoot it so these heads have been squished in a box in, <laughs> in some vault somewhere they pulled them out and guess what on that date snowed again a whole year later so we said well we're going to shoot anyway but they brought these heads out and now they're all squished and just look a bit you know squished so you have to look yeah, after yeah. them where you they're so look after them. but yeah. we cut them from the film because of that we uh, we changed the ending jordan looks after his heads clearly jordan looks <laughs> after his head i polish my head every evening it's so important uh, two heads creek is out now in the uk go watch it it's amazing this has been so much fun remember you can go out there and make your indie film you can make it happen write letters put perfume in them stand in your room in your pants with your testicles out whatever it takes to get your film made then go make it and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well it is your duty to send the elevator back down you can follow us at filmmakers pod if you want to be on the podcast then get in touch uh podcast at gmail.com Jordan Waller, you are a star. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. Everyone, take care. CJ, bye-bye. Bye. 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 A delayed bye. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. See you, guys.